Discretionary listener participation is advised for the following pro wrestling podcast. Wrestling. My name is John McAdam. This is Stick to Wrestling, where if you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed, we'll give you a wicked good and raw bone podcast that focuses on the classic pro wrestling, usually from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, quickly, if you want to join our Facebook group, you are more than welcome. Uh, we talk about all kinds of cool wrestling stuff and other things on that Facebook group. We take questions. We take show ideas. So you want to join the thing. All you have to do is ask and you're in. If you want to follow me on Twitter, just search John McAdam and follow the guy who has the Stick to Wrestling logo as his avatar. I mostly stick to wrestling on Twitter, but there might be a little baseball, football, whatever thrown in there. If you like to donate to this free and ad-free show, uh, you can send a donation to me at prowrestlingarchives at gmail.com via PayPal. Uh, and no amount is too small and certainly no amount is too large. I, I've always said this. If you are a billionaire, just give me like two, three million. It'll be good. With that, uh, I want to bring on my semi-regular co-host, Steve Generelli. Steve, we were talking about baseball before the show, getting a little bit warmed up. And I'm, I'm very happy because today, hours before we started rolling, I got my baseball prospectus for 2023 via Amazon. Oh, I, I love that publication. And uh, I don't know if they're still doing it, but I always like the part where they uh, list a current day player and then list some comparables from the past. I always find that fascinating. Yeah, that that's always an interesting part of that. Also, an interesting part of a uh, baseball reference, especially when it comes to, you know, discussing Hall of Fame candidacies and whatever. But I mean, we'll get rolling with the wrestling very soon, folks. I just want to say, Steve, um, I, I read the Red Sox section. I know you're a Yankees fan. And as such, you should be very happy about the state of the Boston Red Sox franchise. They don't have very m- many good players in the majors, and there's very little help in the minors. We've got a rough stretch coming up. Yeah, they had kind of an unusual offseason. I mean, they signed some veteran players like Justin Turner from the Dodgers. Uh, I mean, some some fine players, but uh, you just have kind of a, a mix of uh, young guys, older guys. Uh, uh, Devers is the best player, obviously. Uh, pitching, they, they were completely lost last year with pitching. I, know, I think they oh, yeah. signed a great a Japanese pitcher, but uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, I mean, the Yankees are pretty locked and loaded for a good season. But, um, you know, I, I hope the Yankees go with some youth this year. That That's the big – my big concern is that they just kind of, you know, put out uh, Josh Donaldson out there and see where it goes. Uh, I want to see some youth on the field. What's that shortstop from New Jersey that, that they have that's supposed to be a big star? Um, Anthony Volpe, I think, is the one you're referring Anthony to. Anthony Volpe, yep. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah I'd, be, I'd be very excited about having him coming up. And they, they have this this real hot hot prospect named uh, D- Dominguez uh, who yes. had a dinger yesterday. They call him the Martian because he can do out of this world things. He's an outfielder. I, I hope he gets some playing time. He's supposed to be like a double A outfielder, or maybe triple A before not too long. But man, if he can get some playing time, I think it really helped the team. No, I've I've read really good things about him, and I think he's only 19, and he's he's on his way up. Meanwhile, the Red Sox aren't going to win anything, but they signed Justin Turner anyway for, <laughs> for no apparent reason. 
Like, wow, we'll win two, we'll, we'll win 76 games instead of 74 now that we have him. But anyway, time to get rolling on the wrestling. WrestleMania 4 was about 35 years ago. And I want to tell you, I have not watched it in its entirety since it aired in 1988 before I watched it yesterday for the first time, bell to bell. Uh, when I originally watched it in 1988, Steve, I absolutely hated it. It was the most painful three and a half hours <laughs> I think I've ever endured. And unfortunately, I've never had major surgery, but I mean, this must be what it's like. But I, I tried to come into it with a, a fresh set of eyes. Like, you know, okay, forget about the experience you had in 88 and try to, to be as fresh with it as possible. And that, that's what I attempted to do. And I think I, I did a pretty good job of it. It was not a good show, but sometimes, you know what? Sometimes it's fun. It's a historic show. And, you know, sometimes the podcasts are more fun when we're not just, oh, my God, that was so great. No, that was even better than great. It's like, you know, you can look at things critically and enjoy doing it that way. Well, let me take you back in time to my memories of that fateful day. So I, I was watching it at home by myself, I think, and I had a beta machine. Yes, a beta machine taping nice. the show. And, uh, you know, you know, it, it was, like you said, very long and took se- seemingly took forever to get through it. Uh, at a, my best wrestling buddy, Dave Rogan, see, uh, he was a CYO coach. Well, he came over later that day and we watched it again. So, so that was probably one of the hardest seven hours of my life. Uh, you know, I'm not never going to give birth or anything, but that was really hard. <laughs> excuse me yeah i mean i was watching it with a group of friends like four or five guys and we were just all completely bored out of our skulls and looking forward to the event finally being over so we could watch clash of the champions uh the first one which steve and i will review in the very near future because that 35 year anniversary is coming up but let's talk about what's coming up into the show, Steve. We have the World Wrestling Federation title held up after a controversial Friday night show where Hulk Hogan faced Andre the Giant for the second time, at least in WWF re- revisionist history. Uh, they had one of the craziest angles ever where uh, the referee was basically cloned. Uh, Earl, <laughs> Earl Hebner had a twin brother, but the average person at home didn't know about that. And there were two Dave Hebners in the ring and Andre won the title, but he surrendered it to Ted DiBiase. And the next week, Jack Tunney got on TV and said he's he's holding up the title and we're having this tournament. Yeah. um, (laughs) um, So, you know, why all this happened, I mean, is from a a business sense. um, I think Vince knew from the prior year that I think he wanted to – uh, milk another Andre versus Hogan, and this is kind of a, another way he could wedge that into WrestleMania. And they, he knew that Hogan was going to be off for the movie. They had to film uh, what became No Holds Barred uh, during the summer months. So, you know, that was the main reason why they really uh, did that crazy, uh, goofy angle with the twin referees to get the title off of Hogan. And uh, he was going to have to be off for a bunch of months during the summer while they filmed that atrocious movie. So I, I, I don't know. I, I mean... Uh, one, one thing I will say, I know, I think Dave Meltzer at the time said something like, oh, this was the most fantastical, wonderful angle, or somebody said that. I don't know who did, but 
to me, that that whole thing was such a farce. You know, uh, when Vince Vince is going on about, uh, oh my God, he had plastic surgery to become somebody else, or you know, to pretend he was like you know two referees. It was just beyond. Uh, let's suspend our disbelief. It was just embarrassing the wrestling. I felt. What Dave said, and I agree with him, is that either you loved it or you hated it. There was very little in between. And Steve, believe it or not, and and one thing one thing I like about having Steve on, he and I are practically the same age. We practically started watching wrestling at the same time. I loved the angle. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. I thought it was you know it, the WWF wrestling. It, it was what it was, and it was beyond creative. And they did a really good job keeping it a secret it didn't get out to the sheets no one knew about it i remember going out meeting my friends afterward they got off to an earlier start than me because i was home watching wrestling and just telling everyone what happened and people just looking at me like i'm crazy like (laughs) how much was the plastic surgery It it was just nuts and what was kind of interesting too at the time was that uh, you know DiBiase uh, was kind of technically the WWF champion, and they had some uh, matches and tag team matches where he came to the ring holding the title. I think there was one in Boston that you might have more info than than I would. Uh, and I think Bigelow was there. The next and- afternoon, the, sure. the Saturday afternoon after that Friday night special, mm-hmm. it was Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant against Hulk Hogan and Bam Bam Bigelow in Boston. And I have photos of Ted DiBiase with the belt, which probably would be more valuable if the event didn't air on Ness. <laughs> you could just see it anyway. <laughs> but yeah, Ted, you know, we just all assumed Ted DiBiase was the new WWF champion. Yeah, and and you know it just that part of it, I just just it just kind of turned me off. I guess I mean, I I just I, I think that they were made made wrestling wrestling should be simple. I mean, just just make it simple. You know, the good guy beats the bad guy, bad guy beats the good guy. And with getting in this whole convoluted thing, I mean, I know you want to protect Hogan and you don't want to have him take a clean loss, but it just seemed like too much extrapolation, too much. I can see why people were putting on Clash of the Champions, really. I mean, you know, it was the first that that show from Indianapolis where they had the twin referee angle was the first wrestling show on network TV in primetime since before there really was a development of of network TV. And I, I, I think they were out to make a splash and they succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you ask me, John, like, uh, how would you compare like WrestleMania three to WrestleMania four? Yeah, WrestleMania three, from a kayfabe perspective, you have uh, Bobby Heenan walking or carting, going down the cart to the ring with Andre the Giant. And, and in a kayfabe perspective, they're the biggest match of both of their lives. And then on WrestleMania four, you have Bobby Heenan feuding with Matilda. Uh, being chased around by Matilda, <laughs> so I mean, it's 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 like, it, I mean, that's how I would describe the difference between these two cards. One is like, hey, we can suspend disbelief. This is the most important match of the undefeated Andre the Giant against the Immortal Hulk Hogan, and then we go to the the opposite of uh, Bobby Heenan wearing a dog catcher's uh, suit or uh, that that suit he was wearing and running from Matilda. It was just beyond belief. 
Actually, that is a really good point. Bobby Heenan may have been the, the, the MVP, or at least in the combination for WrestleMania 3, and he, he definitely was demoted for WrestleMania 4. I actually, Steve, watched the primetime wrestling, the go-home primetime wrestling from the, the Monday. Uh, it aired the Monday before this, the Sunday WrestleMania. Okay. Mm-hmm. And one thing, if it were me, this would have been a two-hour infomercial. Go out and get WrestleMania four. Whether you have, you know, whether you're ordering it on pay per view or believe it or not, they were pushing it really hard on closed circuit TV because you know this is 1988 and still not everyone has cable TV. New York City didn't have cable, and they were pushing hard to have you go watch it at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I was lucky up in uh, Binghamton, where I'm from. We had uh, cable, and uh, it was still pretty affordable back then. I think it was only like 1995, or the, the that worst. sounds right. Yeah, about right. And uh, you know, it, it just it just was easy at, at that time. But anyhow, I wanted to kind of go over some of the matches with you. Uh, do, do you remember? Uh, I know you just watched it a couple of days ago. Uh, any thoughts about the battle royal that kicked off the show? Well, yeah, I thought this was the ultimate, okay, here we have a giant roster. We don't have enough matches to keep everyone happy and have everyone on WrestleMania. So it was basically the let's get them on the show battle royal. I thought it was a very boring battle royal until the very end. Yeah, yeah the very end, uh, you're left with basically uh, three guys. It was JYD, uh, Bad News Brown, Bad News Allen, and, and Bret Hart. And I thought it was kind of interesting because all three had been uh, stampede uh, wrestlers at one point or another. Uh, JYD was actually, uh, he was giving his ground level headbutts that he liked to do. And uh, he had like about 90 seconds of some really good stuff. And then, uh, you know, typical JYD, he really blew up big time. And um, and then they, they ended the match and, and you know, uh, uh, Bad News gave Brett the Enziguri. And then Brett uh, did a number on the big trophy. You're you're right. I mean, the, the the battle royal was was just your typical battle royal crap. It was really bad. But uh, I would say because this was really the first match on the show, and you know, again, comparing it to WrestleMania three, where you had this unbelievable, like mind blowing experience of seeing this unbelievable crowd in this this huge stadium. Looking at the audience for this event, I mean, I, I know according to the internet, I think there was like close to 20,000 people there. But honestly, the way it was lit, the way it was set up, when, even with the banners and everything, to me, it looked far less impressive than what they would do on a weekly show for Superstars or Wrestling Challenge. That, that was my take on it. Really? Because I I have it in my notes here. It's like, you know, uh, I mean, shorthand, uh, I, it says looks good, comma, major league. So, no, it wasn't the, the Silver Dome from the year before. I don't right. know if that's ever going to be topped. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was yeah. just crazy. Yeah, and and, and I, will say, I will say, it's not fair for me to, to think that every show is going to look like the Silver Dome. I mean, that, that part was impossible. But I, I must, uh, must uh, think in my mind that uh, Trump must have paid Vince uh, just that way. He must have way overpaid Vince for these two years of uh, WrestleMania four and five because you know you know how Vince is. He doesn't like to have like two things in a row. He likes to you know change it up a bit and have different uh, venues. Trump must have really overpaid for both of these shows. That's all I can think. 
Uh, rumor at the time was, I mean, we obviously we don't have the numbers, but supposedly both times Trump make, made McMahon an offer that, you know, he couldn't refuse uh, from a financial standpoint. You know, Trump just wanted that huge event at a, a stadium with his name on it. And, you know, he had money to throw around. He threw it, threw it at Vince. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny uh, for anybody that's, that's watching this because of our podcast or uh, re- wanting to revisit WrestleMania for, uh, you know, I, I kept kept looking at him sitting in the front row with his uh, then wife watching the matches and that smug look on his face. It was just signing uh, autographs. Yeah, it, it was just it was just hilarious. But. You know, and I'm looking at the first round matches. You had DBS against Duggan. You had Bravo against Morocco. I, th- I thought the best actual wrestling match of the, the first group of matches was actually, um, and this was the one kind of semi upset of the night, Valentine against uh, Steamboat. That match to me, at least they had some wrestling in there. And, uh, you know, Steamboat had to do the job, I guess. Um, I don't know why, but uh, Valentine went over. And that was the last you'd see of Steamboat in the Federation for about three years. It, it was. And uh, one thing I want to point out, too, I watched the show uh, yesterday, the, the day before we recorded. And when as I watched the show, I did not look at any other uh, WrestleMania 4 reviews. I did not look at my back issue of the Wrestling Observer. Like I wanted everything I had to say about the matches and the show itself to be just for me. And then when I had it watched, I had all my notes done. Like I started looking over that stuff, you know, just to kind of compare. But, you know, I wanted my, my thoughts to be my own, as it were. And, yeah, I mean, the, the as far as the opening matches go – Steamboat versus Valentine. I'm, I'm, I was the only person out there, apparently, who didn't think that was a huge upset because Valentine, I know, had recently re-signed with the WWF and they promised him a, a renewed singles push with the shin guard and with Jimmy Hart as his manager. And I, I knew Steamboat was on his way out. I didn't realize he was on his way out for good, but I knew he was taking at least a couple of months off. So that that one, I was the one person who wasn't surprised apparently and um you know just just talking about the federation as a whole in this in this period of time I, I think one thing that needs to be said is that uh you know steamboat is leaving the company but in the last uh, year or so you know we lost piper at the prior wrestlemania we lost orndorff we lost orton bundy iron Sheik. they were stud. all yes yeah, st- stud too definitely and uh, it, it's just you know these guys were uh, a major part of the fabric of the first uh, bunch of WrestleManias. I mean, my quick rundown on like the earliest matches, we had DiBiase over Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Jim Duggan is just awful here. He is completely unrecognizable from the, the brawler of the UWF that in 85 and 86, it's, and it's just two years later. He is beyond, he's in the argument for worst wrestler in the world, and I'm I'm well aware of guys like Andre the Giant, uh, Bravo versus Morocco. Uh, I mean, both guys really tried in this match, which you know it wasn't a bad match at all. Steve, was it me or do both of these guys look like the Michelin Man? And if you put one more ounce of air into the Michelin, Michelin Man, he's going to explode. Yeah, they, they were both completely, you know, puffed out of their minds. Uh, and, and, you know, 
you know, the Morocco that we've been talking about on some of the recent shows from 1983, that Morocco was a bit more normal looking. I mean, he had kind of a soft, uh, softer look. Uh, he had a gut. Uh-huh. He had love handles. Uh, uh, th- this this version of uh, Morocco is just like uh, steel. I mean, he's just uh, uh, one muscle from top to bottom. You know, and they're both, you know, in their in their prime and in back in the 70s, both of these guys were outstanding. But mm-hmm. this is 1988. And unfortunately, you know, size and injury and travel, everything slowed them down. They did try to give it a good match, but they, they didn't have much to give. That was the thing. No, I mean, both guys were, you know, they're, they're both past their prime. And I, I noticed that with a lot of guys, like, you know, not just guys like Ultimate Warrior. I mean, Hercules Hernandez was another guy who had that Michelin man, I'm about to explode look. And it didn't phase me back in 1988 because I, I just saw it get, you know, every guy get like, you know, maybe 1% bigger every week until it felt normal. But like now watching it 35 years later, it's jarring how, how freakish some of these guys are. Well, one thing I will say on a positive note from watching the show a couple of days ago, you're seeing guys like DiBiase, Steamboat, Randy Savage, guys who uh, were definitely at their peak, you know, and, and I think I think as far as my actual wrestling viewing that I've done in recent uh, years or recent months, it's probably been the current product. I probably watched more uh, WWF, uh, you know, with what's going on with the Bloodline and <laughs> Roman Reigns and those guys. But to see these guys like a DiBiase, a Steamboat, a Savage, who are so fluid in the ring and bring so much athleticism and they, they know they, they, there's a reason for what they do in the ring. They, they have a complete uh, understanding of what they're doing. They're not just doing random spots just to try to pop the audience. Um, it, 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 that part of it, part of me watching the show got me so excited. It's like, it, it would be like saying, hey, we're going to show you uh, footage of um, Julia Serving or Michael Jordan in their prime. You want to watch it, watch it and enjoy it. You know, seeing these guys, uh, I mean, these are all-star wrestlers at the very peak. Yeah. So that part got me excited. No, that, that part was good. I, I One thing I liked about uh, Jess, uh, Steamboat and Valentine was Jesse Ventura plugs his agent in the middle of the match. And <laughs> yeah. Jesse, at this point, is just doing whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah. He said, hey, Barry Blostein and, uh, and, and Monsoon completely no-sold it. Who's that? <laughs> you know? In other words, Monsoon was in on it. A, a quick comment on the, the show itself. A four-round tournament. Normally, it would be like 16 wrestlers, but they gave Hogan and Andre a bye. So we've got a 14-man tournament. Four rounds, it's just too much. The entire first round should have been shelved. And I wrote that while I was while I was watching Randy Savage against Butch Reed. I mean, who thinks Butch Reed is winning here? I mean, you know, the, the first round really was a, a complete waste of time. And I think... If had they gotten rid of that, they would have taken a show that went three hours and 40 minutes, which is really long, especially when you consider that 1988 WWF was a a product marketed at children. And that's just too long for kids, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, even older than that. I think, you know, they could have gotten it down to a way more manageable, like two hours and 50 minutes, three hours. Yeah, and I think the one thing we we haven't said so far is that 
you know, I'm sure Vince had no idea what what the crowd reaction would be for these matches. And, and uh, you know, I think at the time Meltzer called it Trump Tomb instead of Trump Plaza because, <laughs> uh, you know, supposedly a lot of the fans who were in attendance at this were high rollers or their families or people on vacation. You got the impression from watching this, you know, back 30 years ago and also uh, when you watched it moments ago you get the impression that these people watching this show weren't really wrestling fans because uh, they didn't pop for things that like a regular wrestling crowd would pop for. And they, they weren't into the angles. They didn't understand the feuds that were going on. So, uh, you know, add that into this tournament thing where you got kind of tired of seeing the same people on multiple occasions. Uh, it was just, this whole show was a recipe for disaster. It kind of was. And like I said, um, someone we, we took questions on the show and someone asked, you know, could, would it, the show have been better if they had made it shorter and if they had made the matches shorter? The matches really, most of them were short enough. I mean, that, yeah, that wasn't the issue. The issue was that there were too many matches. Yeah, there was there was one there was only really one match that was really on the longer side and that was uh, uh Rick Rick Rude against Jake Roberts which like it was a 15 minute draw ending and that match has to be one of the worst matches of the decade I I could not believe how bad this match was I I know Rude was really improving as a performer at this time and Jake you know Jake should be able to have a good match, but but this was just an atrocious match. Uh, they were in a really good feud at the time, but um, I mean, there was like a four minute chin lock that seemed to go on forever, and and the crowd just was not into this match. Couple of things you 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 couldn't have all the matches be short. Um, you had to have that one long match in there, and. Before I, I, you know, once again, I watched it and then I read all the reviews. And, and one thing I said about Rude Roberts was this is a worst match of the, of the, of the year <laughs> candidate. And then after I watch the whole thing and I go back and I look at my old observers and, and Dave comes right out and says, this is a worst match of the year candidate. But I do have a story about this one, Steve. And I, I told Let's this one maybe three or four years ago and I'll, I'll share it again. I knew couple of people who went to wrestlemania for um the, this one person i know and if, if you listen and i i've forgotten who this person was i apologize so i hope this person is not like oh man mccann forgot about me 35 years ago but he went and he said that you know he, he stayed at the trump plaza hotel about 10 o'clock he and his friends go out for breakfast and the wrestlers were all still milling around and he's kind of like, yeah, one guy's like, oh, wow, they're up early. And my friend knew better. He's like, no, they're still out from last night. <laughs> so he tells me the story. Vince McMahon comes downstairs and with his entourage, you know, Vince, you know, all, you know, excited and, and whatever. And he's like, oh, looks like everyone's up and early like me. Oh, this is great. <laughs> the wrestlers scatter like ants as if you just kicked over the ant hill, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> For one guy, Rick Rude, and hmm. I forget exactly what the con- what the what happened. You know, it's been thirty five years. I think Rude just told McMahon, "Hey, shut the fuck up!" And how <laughs> dare you? And and these two, like someone, you know, people had to get between them. And Rude just like went out and about his business, like Vince wasn't even there. So basically, Rude stayed out beyond all night. And now he's got to have a match at like 4.30 in the afternoon. And wow, shock of shocks, the match wasn't any good. 
Yeah, well, that, that explains a lot. And uh, and I, I will say, uh, as far as the entertainment value of this show, uh, this is one of the very rare uh, WrestleManias where I think Vince had no on-screen time whatsoever. He didn't even do a voiceover during the show uh, introducing it or anything. And I think I think the show missed him. You know, I, I didn't think of that. But you're right. I, I can't remember seeing Vince at all. And, you know, I, I can understand that because he's the promoter. He's the king. He has a lot going on and just hand the ball off to Okerlund, Ventura and and Monsoon. But you're right. I mean, maybe we, we could have had a, a Vince TV appearance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he was missed on this show. Uh, what did you think of the uh, Hercules against uh, Anabolic Warrior match? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, Warrior, this is back when the WWF still didn't know really what they were doing with Ultimate Warrior. They brought him in like summer of 1987. And, you know, there there's a myth out there that Vince McMahon pushed the ultimate warrior down everyone's throats and nothing could be further than the truth. Vince brought him in, put him on TV, sent him on the road. The guy got over the WWF fans ate him up. And now you're like, okay, what do we do with this guy? And, but I mean, he was, he was so terrible in the ring especially now when he's beyond green and Hercules was okay, probably you know, below average as a wrestler. Uh, but you know, there, there was, I mean, it was hopeless. It was absolutely hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. If you compare this match to the prior years, Hercules against uh Billy Jack Haynes match. I mean, Billy Jack Haynes looks like Carl Gotch compared to this guy, but yeah, but you know, I mean, you know, we're talking ultimate warrior again. He's, he's in that conversation for worst wrestler on the planet. And we've got three guys on that sh- on the show, including uh, Andre, the giant. One thing I wanted to talk about is one man gang versus Bam Bam Bigelow. I mean, okay. Here are two guys who the WWF, in my opinion, completely blew it with. Now, Bam Bam Bigelow, before he passed, talked about how he was, you know, too immature and how he blew opportunities. And boy, it's, it's funny how it's never WWE's fault. It's always the talent's fault. You know, I was immature. I screwed up. Like everyone who has a falling out with them has to, you know, come out and kind of read that, that confession that it was all their fault. But I mean, here's, here's Bam Bam Bigelow, right? This is 1988 where People tended not to have tattoos, okay? Mm-hmm. If you had a tattoo, generally speaking, you were either in the Navy and you got one or you're a biker. This guy has a tattoo on his head, which <laughs> is something you did not see in 1988. And he was this huge guy. And to me, they blew it. You need to bring in Bam Bam B- Bigelow as a badass heel at first feud him with Hulk Hogan and then do the inevitable turn. But instead they brought him in as a baby face with Sir Oliver Humpernick and no one's getting over with that guy in their corner. I mean, just in one man gang, another guy the year before he had been the UWF champion for Bill Watts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly a year before he was considered a world champion and they bring him in until, and until they turn, turn him into Akeem. Let's not even get into that. <laughs> they didn't do anything with him. And to me, he was again, you know, a perfect opponent for Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. No, but for a three match series or a two match series at Madison Square Garden, absolutely. They actually had a series of matches uh, together. I know they even headlined the Paul Bosch retirement show. 
And for for whatever reason, they never really built an angle around it to really uh, set it off. It was just a house show feud. Yeah, I, I remember seeing a one-man gang in world class right when he got the Mohawk. And I was like, oh, man, this guy would be perfect for Hulk Hogan to wrestle. But, you know, they just it just never came around for him. Now, one thing, Steve... When I was watching it, I generally, we're, we're back talking baseball again, Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre, who I usually am okay with, he was absolutely horrible on this show, just not <laughs> at all, out there way too much. And, and once again, I have this on my note in my notes, and then I go to the Observer and the reviews, and everyone agreed with me that there was just way too much Bob Euchre, and he wasn't funny. It was just like a, a gag that they had running throughout the show that he was looking for Vanna White and he couldn't find her. And I mean, I could see what they were trying to do. And, and if they just did it maybe once or twice, it could have been okay. But like five times, it got a little old. It just didn't work too well. And and again, you're you're running long on time during this show. I mean, you know, it's like every little thing they put on there was just one more groan out of out of me and my friends. I remember Jesse got up and posed towards the end of the show, and you know, it was like a three minute segment. In three minutes, who cares? But it's like you know, by the time they did it, we had all had enough. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, well, I, I'm, a big, I'm a big Jesse Marks. I marked out during that. But, uh, I, you know, it, one thing that, that really blew my mind again, as far as just watching it, you know, 30 plus years later, uh, you have the Honky Tonk Man against Brutus Beefcake. And, you know, I, I, I like Honky. I think he had a good act and he's, he wrestled the wrestled well i mean as far as being a non-wrestler really but uh at least he didn't hurt anybody in the ring now beefcake was just probably one of the goofiest dopiest characters in the wwf for the longest period of time i mean it's, it's kind of a tag team heel with greg valentine you could kind of ignore him in the background but now now that they're pushing him as this really supposedly popular baby face his whole act and the whole thing with the clippers and the cutting the hair it, it just was so tedious and ridiculous to me i, I hated that angle and i he, he i mean in this match he actually showed some athleticism he did a nice leapfrog he he looked good in the ring but the gimmick was was terrible i thought when Brutus Beefcake apparently, well, at the time, apparently, turned babyface at WrestleMania 3. Uh, no, actually, you know what? He he did turn full-fledged babyface because he helped Piper beat Adonis. Right. And at the time, I was really taken aback. I'm like, how do you have a guy named Brutus Beefcake as a good guy? <laughs> and he's mimic is that he cuts everyone's hair after their match for no reason other than to be mean to them. And you know, I was like, this is never going to work. And it worked. I'll never understand that. But it, it, he got over. I think I think in Vince's dumb way, I think he was kind of like uh, supposed to be the like a like a teen idol type for the you know young girls that were watching wrestling. I, that I can kind of believe, but from a guy's perspective, uh, he was definitely not one that we liked or uh, were enamored with. No, I mean, you know, let me tell you, if you're a guy in 1988, you are definitely threatened by being a fan of a guy <laughs> named 
with beefcake. That's just the way it was. Going back a, a little bit, I mean, here's what I have on the notes for Honky Man versus Beefcake, and that is that they ha- at this point they have completely lost the crowd. The crowd is officially bored. They are quiet. And during the match, uh, Jesse previously said hello to his agent. Now Jesse's saying hello to his family. Uh, he's, once again, he's cracking me up. And Jesse got in a great line. He's like, why do you call Bob Euchre Mr. Baseball? Shouldn't that be M- Mickey Mantle or Willie Mays? <laughs> yeah, I heard that. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. After all, he, he batted like 200, he said. So, um, but, but yeah, <laughs> it, 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 one, one match I will say that, that again, reminding me of how good wrestling can be. It wasn't, it wasn't a great match, but at least it had the potential to be a great match. The match with Heenan and the Islanders against uh, the Bulldogs uh, and the Coco. Uh, you know, just watching this, watching these performers for the first time in 30 years, you know, the, the Bulldogs were, were not nearly as good as they had been from a few years earlier. I mean, Dynamite had really been decimated by his injuries. Uh, the Islanders, in my opinion, were extremely good. I mean, Tonga Kid was a very good worker. Haku was good to, for being the muscle guy of the team. And you, you could see glimpses of how excellent. I mean, they could have put on like a four-star match here if they were allowed to. But uh, they, they focused more on the goofiness of Bobby running from the, the bulldog. And, and, and that was just the WWF in that, that time frame. They didn't care about good wrestling. No, I mean, that, that, that's all it was. They just wanted to do goofy stuff with Matilda and Heenan. And the Islanders had, had kidnapped Matilda for a couple of months before finally giving her back. And I agree with you, though. The Islanders were an outstanding tag team. I saw a couple of matches live with them against Strike Force. And, you know, it's easy to have good matches with Rick Martel and Tito Santana. But, I mean, the Islanders definitely held up their end. Yeah, yeah, they they had had uh, another long series of matches with the the precursor to Strike Force, the Camhand Connection, and I guess uh, I think you had alluded to it on a prior show. Uh, they really roughed up Tom Zink in the ring, those Islanders. I had said that, and here's the thing, right? I, I I've said this before. I'm always skeptical if I hear something like that for the first time. You know, this was going on in '87. You know, I'm, I'm skeptical if I hear about it for the first time in 2023. I was hearing about it before Tom Zank left, that the Islanders took a disliking to him and were stiffing him as much as eight or nine times a week because these guys were working twice on Saturday and Sunday. And then about two weeks later, I, I heard that Zank went home. So totally something went on between the Islanders and Tom Zank. Yeah, if they were taking liberties with with him in the ring, I mean, what what could he really do about it? I mean, there's not nothing much he could do about it exactly, <laughs> you know. So, um, hey guys, please stop beating me up. Yeah, right, please, please. So uh, we had the uh, the championship tag match demolition against uh, Strike Force. Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, let me see. Demolition and Strike Force. I we knew the tag team titles were changing hands. I mean, they had done it. And here's how we find things like that. this out, right? Uh, Strike Force, they're doing a TV taping before WrestleMania. And Slick comes out and he says something to them. You know, they, they come out to the ring with the belt. And Slick comes out, says something to them. They chase Slick to the back. Then they come back out, but they don't have the tag team titles. So someone attended this and told Dave about it. And everyone put two and two together. And it's like, yeah, Demolition's winning the title. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, as a fan watching at the time and, and I, I did get the observer back then, but just watching it just from, you know, as a, in a kayfabe sense, I guess I was surprised that demolition won the match. I mean, at the time they were still fairly new and I didn't, I was kind of thinking of them as just, you know, the road warrior ripoff thing, but over time they really became so much more than that. And I think over time, uh, their performance maybe maybe even exceeded the Road Warriors just from the the ring work that they did. They were they were a really good team and they got over and a lot of people when they came in uh, just about a month maybe before WrestleMania three, a lot of fans were like, "Oh, the Road Warriors finally came to the WWE." <laughs> <laughs> a, a casual fan, you're not going to know about this. I mean, Steve, I, I want to go back and talk a little bit about Hogan versus Andre, right? They, they again. I'm trying to remain positive, but I mean, this show is getting bad. Andre was in such terrible shape. I mean, I, and I, I thought this was it for him. This was going to be either his last match or like his second to last match. I was dead wrong, but I mean, he could barely walk. He could barely remain standing. And but moving even further back, Hulk Hogan did an interview before the match started. And he put almost no focus on winning the WWF championship, winning this tournament. All he cared about was Hogan versus Andre, too. And to me, that's a dead giveaway. Even if you don't get the observer or whatever, that, you know, Hogan's not winning this tournament, neither is Andre. It was funny to watch the match. And uh, I know a lot of people uh, crap all over the WrestleMania three Hogan Andre match, but by comparison, that match is a great match compared to this yeah. one. And uh, the, the thing, the thing about Hogan uh, after this match and he's in the ring doing the whole posing routine. And I think this was maybe at the halfway mark of the show. It was funny because, you know, supposedly this is, you know, Hogan trying to get the championship back. He's he's uh, out of the tournament, but he's posing, he's smiling, he's happy as a clam. I mean, yeah. we, you know, in reality, we know he's going to go to do the movie. But, you know, in it from kayfabe, it's kind of like, uh, why is he so happy? Why is he smiling? It's, it's, it, he What he was doing here reminded me of like that, that um thing of jeff hardy like uh, dancing his way to the ring <laughs> to go and support his opponent uh or support his support his partner it just it just made no sense uh, it, it didn't i mean yeah you're right you know hulk, hulk hogan as of right now so for the first time since 1983 is not going to be the wwf champion and he didn't care about it coming into the match he didn't care <laughs> about it after the match and i think that was it, it's just not a a good thing to do for the show but one thing they did afterward Ted DiBiase versus Don Morocco. Well, now that Hogan and Andre have wrestled qualification, you know, the winner of this match goes to the finals mm -hmm. and it's good in a way because all right, well, Ted DiBiase is the heel and he now has the easier path to the championship. It's bad in a way because ain't no one in the world thinking Morocco is going to get that spot. That, that's true. And, and um, I will say, as far as Savage, who had the longer route to the championship finals, um, he really um, he re really wrestled like a baby face in all the four matches that he had. I yes. mean, he really was really vulnerable in each of the four matches and really allowed uh, his opponent, uh, whether it was Valentine or One Man Gang or Butch Reed or, or DiBiase, to really beat him down. And then he had to really kind of work hard to come back and uh, – 
you know, Savage just this is a real tour de force for him in this show. And, um, you know, even though I didn't like the course of the WWF, what they were doing, having maybe probably my favorite wrestler at the time win the title, uh, that did you know, make me happy at the end of the show, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that they did a good job, a great job portraying Randy Savage as the sympathetic babyface because he's got to get past Butch Reed and Butch Reed was on offense just about, you know, that entire match. He had a good match against Valentine. Then he's got to go through a giant in one man gang. And then he's got to go to the finals where he's got to wrestle Ted DiBiase, who has Andre the Giant and Virgil in his corner. Yeah, yeah. Randy Savage versus One Man Gang was a battle for ICW Kentucky supremacy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and and Jesse during that match, Jesse Ventura was trying so hard, and he was doing a really good job. He was pushing One Man Gang as the favorite, and you know they had a really dumb DQ ending. There's no reason why One Man Gang couldn't lose clean to Randy Savage uh, during that match. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one man gang had the, the, the a huge size advantage, but uh, Randy Savage uh, has such intensity and such speed in the ring, and uh, yeah, he he had to overcome, and he did. He did one funny thing about this show. Gene Okerlund was was not always my favorite. I I've I've he's grown on me over the years, but he does an interview with Vanna White, and she's like, "Okay, Gene, I got to go to the ring." And he gives her the once over. Like I've <laughs> never seen a guy give a girl once over before in my life. I I don't remember seeing noticing that in 1988. How could I not? But this might have been the highlight of the show. Good lord! No, that that was funny. But and, and actually, actually, the 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 thing that Euchre did that did crack me up was when she finally got in the ring, Vanna, and she kissed him on the on the cheek. He he did this kind of funny reaction, like he was blushing and ready to fall. <laughs> all over and it was it was kind of cute the way they did that but it was it was exhausting getting to that point yeah you know one thing i i had in my notes here during honky tonk man versus brutus beefcake now at this point we're probably like two and a half hours into it and i pick up the remote i'm like that's it i'm fast forwarding and I'm like, no, I can't do that. I, I can't <laughs> pretend to have watched a match and reviewed it. So I, I actually took a break. I took like a two-hour break, and that's what caused me to do it. But I, I really did sit through this whole thing again. Now, the final Ted DiBiase against Hulk Hogan, against Randy Savage, um, I have a lot to say here. There has been a story out there that, Randy Savage was supposed to win the Intercontinental Championship on the Friday night special, uh, February 5th in Indianapolis that aired on NBC. And the story was that Honky Tonk Man was supposed to uh, refuse to do the job for Randy Savage. And they placated Savage by instead of having Ted DiBiase win the WWF Championship as scheduled, they said, okay, Randy, you'll win the WWF championship. That was the story, right? Mm-hmm. The story is 100% true. I have people <laughs> arguing about this years later. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, was getting the Observer following the WWF live. I mean, 
DiBiase has confirmed the story. Well, Wayne Ferris has confirmed the story. They changed the, the bracketing of the tournament. So it, this is what happened. Ted DiBiase was originally scheduled to win this tournament, and Wayne Ferris threw a, a monkey wrench in there. I think from a fan's perspective, I would say uh, it's a good thing that he did that because as bad as a show this this was, I think it would have been even like doubly worse if DiBiase comes out of it with the championship and the fans like devastated or crushed, because at least at the end, when Savage finally gets his hand raised and Hogan is there to kind of pass the baton and Elizabeth is there, it doesn't end a, a long day on a positive note. Good point. Uh, that is a really good point. But here's my counterpoint. Number one, I think, you know, they knew they were going to do Ted DiBiase versus Randy Savage around the horn, as I like to say, during the summer of 1988. The, the feud, feuds historically draw better when the babyface is chasing in mm-hmm. that type of feud. Mm-hmm. Number two, and this is big, WWF magazine was printed in advance. And they had Randy Savage, you know, winning the tournament. You know, they're saying he's the new champion. And, of course, a copy of the magazine got leaked to major news outlets. And before WrestleMania, you have people coming on TV and saying, well, the WWF magazine says Randy Savage is the, the is going to win the tournament. We'll find out. Uh-huh. And it, it wasn't, you know, I'm not the kind of person who's going to overreact to something like that typically. But in my opinion, it was so, so many people knew you had to change the finish. You had to have someone other than Randy Savage win that tournament, and the only person that I could have instead of Savage was Ted DiBiase. And I would have, you know, I would have told Randy Savage, "Look, we're having a pay per view in August. You can win the championship on that pay per view instead, but we we can't go through with the plan of making you champion. The word is out." Well, you know, it's almost like um, when Vince came clean and went to the uh, you know New Jersey State Athletic Commission and said, "Hey, you know, wrestling is not a sport. You know, you guys, we need to you know decommission everything and uh, stop having the commissions take the fees because it's not a sport. It's not a competition." Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the old timers that heard that when Vince said all that stuff, but they were like, "Oh no, he's he's really broken kayfabe, and uh, you know, wrestling is dead, or wrestling will never recover." When in fact, I think when he said it, you know, business was booming and continued to boom. So yeah, I, I don't I don't think this. I, I know what you mean. The the magazine came out before the match even happened, but uh, I don't think it really hurt anything too bad. No, well, it didn't, but I think you, again, just to kind of keep, you know, the, the last remnants of kayfabe alive, you know, right. you, I think you had, to, you had to curveball them and had to have DiBiase win the championship. By the way, those, those, uh, uh, meetings that Vince had with the New Jersey State Legislature literally made the front page of the New York newspapers. So and to me, it's not a big deal. I mean, if you, Everyone, everyone knew wrestling was not on the up and up. It's like, yeah, okay, I didn't really saw that lady in half. And yeah, wrestling is predetermined. What else do you want? It is interesting to look back now at, at, at this card because, uh, you know, wrestling was so still very popular in 1988. I mean, it, it's, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, the thing, I, uh, the thing I'll have to say is that the following morning, 
on the Today Show, which was then and arguably still now like the most popular of the morning uh, news shows, uh, Brian Gumble was on there with the other co-hosts, and they happened to say, "Hey, did you did you hear about WrestleMania?" And Brian Gumble said, "Hey, I, I think that Clash of the Champions show on TBS was even better." So here I we have, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So here we are on this mainstream national, you know, not not even a sports show, but like a national program for everybody to enjoy and here they're debating who what was better the clash or uh, wwf uh, wrestlemania i mean uh, that shows you how uh, still in the uh, you know pop culture this thing was such a big deal still and you know i, I think a lot of that was from wrestlemania one and three just a rollover but uh, people were still talking about it Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's funny. People, the mainstream media, except for Brian Gumble, of course, <laughs> we're all talking about WrestleMania. And in the very near future, we will be reviewing that Clash of the Champions show, which drew between three and four times as many eyeballs as the as WrestleMania. Of course, that's what that's the difference between a free show and a show you have to pay 20 bucks for. I mean, one last thought on the sh- on the show itself. Steve, I mean, I thought the, the tournament itself was beyond boring. It was beyond predictable. I think one thing that they needed to do, they needed to throw some sort of wrink, wrinkle in there. Like have, you know, figure out a baby face that who you want to push, maybe even like Ultimate Warrior, even though uh, you want, you don't want to use him because at some point he'd have to do a job, but like some young upcoming baby face, put him in this thing and get him a couple of upsets. Or the easiest thing they could have done was have Dino Bravo beat Don Morocco because, okay, now you've got Ted DiBiase against Dino Bravo, which, okay, no one's expecting, no one was expecting to see that, but, Bravo versus Morocco was early enough in the tournament where you're saying to the audience, okay, see that? We have a heel versus heel match coming up. Anything can happen this afternoon. No, you, you make a very good point. And, you know, I, I noticed uh, in that regard, I mean, the Battle Royal, you had some good performers in there that – should have been utilized better. I mean, Ron Bass is one that comes to mind. I, I noticed him in that battle royal. The guy had a had a good look. He he was you know big, a naturally big guy. Uh, they really never did much with him other than a very forgettable feud with Beefcake. Uh, Paul Romo, who is going to have his push a couple years later with Power and Glory, he kind of sounds like what you're talking about. A younger guy who is maybe on the verge of getting a push. They could have thrown him in the mix. Brett obviously was going to get a big push later on, and he could have been one of those guys. So I think you're on onto something there with that idea that they should have had a wild card thrown in there because it was too predictable, and, and the outcomes were too predictable. You know, here's the thing about booking, okay? You don't book just to have a surprise. You don't book just to be unpredictable. But you can't book too predictably either. Like, that was the one thing. Uh, the main thing I didn't like about Vince Russo booking, like I would be like, okay, you know, th- we're talking 10, 15 years later. I'm like, all right, what's the least logical thing that can happen? And it- it's the thing that happened. Like, you know, okay. <laughs> Triple H and Stephanie are going to really get together and go up against Vince McMahon. Like I, I saw that coming a mile away because that's the the shock booking, and you, you you need to stay away from that, you know. But at the same time, you can't be too predictable. And the booking on this show, in my opinion, Steve, was too predictable. Oh, very true. And I know uh, we we pretty much covered the entire show, but do we have any time for any of our uh, viewer questions? 
We we definitely do, but one thing I wanted to throw out there before we start, the Savage versus DiBiase match, I mean, I noticed it, and you know, Melcher noticed it, and the reviewers noticed it. Everyone in the crowd wasn't watching the match. They were waiting for Hulk Hogan to come out, and that really took away from the match, and I think it really took away from Randy Savage being what you needed the World Wrestling Federation champion to be. I understand that they knew Hogan was coming back, and when Hogan came back, he was going to be the number one guy. I'll bet they knew coming into the show that in a year we'll be back doing Randy Savage, WWF champion, after his heel turn versus Hulk Hogan. So, you know, you, you can't put Randy over too much. You're not trying to replace Hulk Hogan, but they needed to give Randy Savage a little more juice. I mean, Hogan was clearly the biggest star in the company still, and really Elizabeth might have been the biggest star in the Randy Savage-Elizabeth act. Oh, Steve, here's... Just so you know, Brandon Rice just slammed down his listening device and stopped talking. Okay. Listening. All right. Well, no. Well, I'm a big Randy Savage fan too, but um, I think um, you know, I, I think that the way they built up the other matches, especially uh, especially that final match where you know Andre was blocking Savage from jumping on DiBiase, and you know Andre was interfering at every juncture. I mean, the way that that story was written, I mean, you had to have somebody come and kind of equalize the situation, you know, mm-hmm. because Andre was playing such a major role in the match. And, of course, uh, you know, they show Randy uh, whispering to Elizabeth and she runs to the back and comes out with Hogan. And, you know, and I, I think traditionally with the promotion, you know, you go all the way back to uh, – when uh, Pedro beat Koloff, I mean, uh, Bruno was there to hand the belt to Pedro. And it's kind of the, the passing of the baton. And, and I, I guess Vince felt the same way. Let's have, uh, let's have Hogan uh, hand off the ball to uh, Randy right in the ring and to have Elizabeth there. And, and you know, and, and, and we know, I mean, as time went along, when Savage did have his run as champ, I mean, he, he, was, he was decent box office. He wasn't as strong as Hogan, but I think uh, – I think he did actually uh, over exceed the expectation of him. I mean, he wasn't Hogan. And I mean, let's face it, you know, business is always down in the summer for wrestling. That's just the way it goes. Um, I, I thought Savage did a good job. He was far from uh, a bust as champion and gates were going down anyway. I mean, pro wrestling in the eighties peaked at WrestleMania three and, you know, things were, were on the other side of the mountain now, you know, but Savage right. overall did a good job. Steve, what was your, your overall thoughts on WrestleMania four as a whole in its entirety? Well, when you asked me to revisit it, I, I felt like, uh, you know, I felt like you were asking me to reopen an old scab or an old wound. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how I felt about it. But, uh, you Notice know. we didn't have a guest this week, by the way. <laughs> I, I will only subject myself and Steve to this kind of pain. But go, go ahead, Steve. But, but, but you know, but watching this show, uh, I guess to kind of uh, um, accentuate the positive, I got to see these guys who were you know, my heroes and my uh, guys that I looked up to, even Hogan. I mean, to see Hogan, to see uh, you know Bobby Heenan in his almost his prime and Savage, DiBiase, Steamboat. Those guys were the standouts to me. Uh, it, it it just blows my mind, and it blows my mind that when you watch whether it's WWE or if you watch. AEW or watch something else, uh, the, the wrestling of today, 
I, I guess I'm an old codger for sure. The wrestling of today doesn't match up to these what these guys could do because they're just not trained the right way. They don't have, you know, Red Bastine and a million other super trainers to train them. So it's uh, that's that's my final comment. Not a great show, not not even a good show, but to see some of these guys in their prime again uh, brought back some great memories. All right. I now mind you, it was my idea to do a 35 year review of WrestleMania four. I could have done any other show. Right. But I, I, we picked this one and leading up to the days I had planned, I I had my Saturday kind of wide open. I'm like, all right, I'll watch it on Saturday. And as the days went on, I began to dread having to watch (laughs) from bell to bell again. And I'm saying to myself, okay, when I watched it the last time, 35 years ago, I'm out there, I'm watching it with my friends, right? We've got plenty to talk about. I mean, WrestleMania is on uh, baseball season is about to start. I think opening day might've been the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NCAA basketball tournament was going on. Stanley plenty Cup, to- everything. And, you know, clash of the champions was next. And we were all just bored out of our skulls. So how how am I by myself 35 years later when I already have seen this, I know what's going to happen. How is it going to be at all entertaining? And it wasn't that bad. I mean, I could I could laugh at the bad stuff. I could, you know, just like you did. It, it's it's fun nostalgia. But Steve, I mean, this it really was one of, if not the worst pay-per-views ever by a major company. I mean, WrestleMania, I think it was it was worse than WrestleMania 2, not that WrestleMania 2 was good. Halloween Havoc 92 is in the running, and I'm not going to rewatch that to compare. But, I mean, those were, in my opinion, were the worst two pay-per-views ever. WCW had some real stinkers during the Nitro era, but at least the undercard was good. I mean, you know, what can I Steve, this was, in my opinion, a historically bad pay-per-view. Well, I'll just add one final thought on that. If uh, if this if this card had been held, say, in Montreal or Toronto or one of those cities where the WWE fan base is just going crazy, I think that would have really changed this this card and how we look at it a great deal. I mean, the Maybe. wrestlers the wrestlers too they they react differently. If you have a hot hot crowd, their work rate goes up. They get more into it. They get more pumped up. I mean, working before a dead crowd like this, it just, I think it made everybody kind of like look for their no dos or whatever. It just, it made made it a long day. Yeah, you know, I, I was, I read The Observer after seeing the show and Dave was saying, you know, the problem wasn't that the show was too long, that, you know, Starcade had gone over four hours. And e- even when I watched those Starcades, like the really good ones, like Starcade ED5, you know, we used to do watch alongs years ago and like, you know, four hours, it's a long time. Even when I got the WTBS show, uh, Saturday nights, you know, Right around 7.30, that started to drag. So now right. we're looking at you know a very boring show in front of a dead crowd that goes three hours and 40 minutes. And uh, that was a bit long. But with that, Steve, I'll tell you what. We do have time to take a, a few questions from the Facebook group. Uh, why don't you pick the first one? Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jonathan McDonald asks, did they not do Savage Steamboat again for fear of Macho getting booed? I was a little bit taken aback by that question because, but I, I like the question, Steve, because it, it made me think of something. 
part of the cell, the cell of WrestleMania four was Hogan versus Andre part two. Once again, mm-hmm. at least in the storyline, what if they advertised that in the first round of the tournament, Ricky Steamboat, Randy Savage, a rematch from last year's WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that would have been a great idea. But to answer Jonathan's question, I'd be more afraid of Steamboat getting booed than Savage. Yeah, I, I don't know about the booing aspect, but I, I would say, uh, just from an artistic standpoint, you know, we now know that Savage was extremely meticulous about his matches and putting them together uh, on a night where all the matches really had to be short matches. Um, it, I could see him not wanting to do a, a match with Steamboat that was going to have to be notably shorter and not be as uh, sophisticated and as uh, magical as the match the prior year. So I'm sure that wasn't the reason they went that way. It, it, it just made, I guess, like you said earlier in the show, it made more sense for Valentine to go over and that's what happened. Yeah, it did. Now, here's another question. Um, Jonathan Robinson asked, couldn't we have more shorter matches rather than so many buys? I, I thought, I didn't think there were too many buys. I thought, I think they did two, including uh, Hogan Andre. Am I, am I forgetting something? No, no, I, I, I mean, there were tons of short matches. So, uh, yeah. I mean, there, there, there were, it, it, they couldn't have really changed it that much from what it was. So, no, my my opinion, they needed fewer matches, not shorter matches. All right, Siva, we got time for a couple more questions. Uh, Nathaniel uh, Uselton says, uh, how do you think WWF would have been different if Ted DiBiase would have won the tournament instead of Randy Savage? Not very in the long term. I think we would have had Ted DiBiase as champion during the summer of 1988, and Savage was going to get the belt no matter what, so they could have Hogan Savage at WrestleMania five. Again, I think the the thing to do, especially after the magazine came out, would have been to either have Savage beat DiBiase for the title at SummerSlam or have Savage beat DiBiase for the championship on a Saturday night's main event. Or, you know, if you really need to just have him uh, win it at Madison Square Garden. Either way, I think the, the best the best finish. And like I said, Steve, I, I get what you're saying as far as send the crowd home happy, but I, I think DiBiase should have won this tournament, especially after that, that magazine faux pas happened, but long-term it wouldn't have made much difference. I mean, Savage was getting, would have gotten felt anyway. No, I, I agree with you. I don't think it really would have made much difference either way. They would have eventually given it to Savage or, if for some reason DiBiase was doing it really well, they would have just had Hogan win it back from him at some point. But uh, yeah, you know, it is that old thing of let's send the fans home happy. And especially in a show like this one where, you know, the, the crowd was kind of dead. Uh, it, I, I could see at the end of the Savage DiBiase match that when, when Hogan did come to the ring, there were a lot of fans on their, on their feet cheering and getting into yes. it. And, and at least, at least it ended on a high note that way, but uh, it was a long afternoon. It was. And when, when Hogan finally came out, uh, they got that huge pop. People who were sleeping, you know, just minutes before were now on their feet. And, it, you know, again, it, it kind of, just goes to show you like you know was or did people really buy the pay-per-views to watch wwf wrestling or did, did they watch so they could see the hulk hogan show and for i you know for a lot of people it was the latter 
Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen uh, different uh, documentaries on wrestling, and they show these families are just they they lit up when Hogan came on, and the, and the other stuff they probably didn't even really care about it. You know, I as a wrestling fan, I enjoyed the, all the wrestling, you know, every bit of it, not just the main event match. No, same here. I've been saying for years that, you know, if, if Bob Backlund had been WWF champion, I would have gone to the Boston Garden and watched wrestling no matter who was champion. Uh, but once again, he's, you know, Backlund was a, a very important part of the show. Nowhere near Hulk Hogan, but I'm with you, Steve. I was a wrestling fan, just a fan of one guy, but we, we weren't the outliers. I think we were, we were the most people were like that, but a lot of people just wanted to see their Hulk Hogan. And with that, one last question. John Ware, my favorite Pittsburgh Panther guy, says, if you had to choose between this and the first clash of the champions, what would you pick? I don't know. If I had to pick between ice cream and cancer, I might go <laughs> ice cream they threw out there. <laughs> Well, I, I I have to admit though, I was such a mark for WWF at this point. Uh, I, I, you know, and I will I will say, I mean, when I watched it originally, and I had I told you I watched it twice in that first day, I knew it wasn't as good as WrestleMania three, but I I I, is, I I still enjoyed the show watching it then. And then, of course, a week later, I get the Observer in the mail. Boy, this show sucks. So I kind of went with the groupthink mentality after that guy. And it really did stink, you know. And uh, But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed The Clash. I thought The Clash was good for what it was. But uh, I, I was really a pro-WWF guy in this in time frame we're talking about. Well, I'll tell you what, like I said, in the very near future, we will be reviewing that Clash of the Champions. Uh, from a personal pr perspective, my friends and I watched WrestleMania live. We were recording the Clash of the Champions in the next room over, and then as soon as WrestleMania ended, we put that tape in. So in about four or five weeks, we'll be talking about that Clash of the Steve, thank you for taking the time not only to record, but to review and watch WrestleMania 4. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for the invite. And this is WrestleMania season, so we're going to have some uh, other interesting WrestleMania retrospectives in the weeks to come. And here's something I haven't talked about. This is episode number 247. Episode number 250 is right around the corner. We plan on having a special episode for that. I'm not going to do anything crazy like I did for episode 200, where I did a 200-minute episode and was a little bit burned out by the time I got done doing it. But we will be doing something special for 250. And that's it for this week's edition of Stick to Wrestling. Once again, thank you, Steve. I want to thank... Brian Lass for giving us this forum and I want to thank Luke Kippelman for all the great work he does. We had a couple of mess ups during this recording that he's going to fix for us and we appreciate it. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Go Vols! Do something in the tournament. This concludes our podcast day.